Welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Friends, I am one of your hosts for today's show, Aaron Richards, and I am joined here by my co-host, my friend, my brother in Christ, Dan Demite. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Aaron. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. It's been a while, I think, since you and I have sat across the desk from one another. So. It is time to have some fun. Looking forward to it. If you're driving, <laughs> buckle up. It's going to get wild. You should have been buckled already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you're not driving, go out to your car and buckle up. Friends, we are uh, we're joining you. You're joining us here. Uh, I don't know who's joining whom, but we are recording here at the beautiful, illustrious Damascus Media Studio. Beyond Damascus, as you know, is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio. We are carried across the global EWTN Cap- Catholic Radio Network. And uh, pumped to be here today. Dan, you want to kick us off in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Alleluia. You are risen, Lord. We thank, thank you, you so Jesus. much for your incredible gift of self, the gift of your life on the cross, and the gift of your joy in the resurrection. We pray, Lord, that we would share not only in your sufferings, but also in your triumph. We pray that we would share not only in the death to ourselves, but that we would become alive in you, Christ Jesus. We pray that you would bless our minds and our hearts during this show to experience you resurrected and your mother more fully. Amen. Jesus, we want to receive you into our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, friends, thank you for joining us today. You know, as you've probably become accustomed as you listen to this show— the, the the thoughts that I have on a daily basis, the thoughts that Dan has, we are, I mean, we're truly driven by what happens here at Damascus every day. So this is, this show is basically just a glimpse into the life here on campus. And, Super uh, exciting. <laughs> this week in particular, we have had a, a missionary retreat for our, for our own staff. And um, we've been spending a lot of time thinking and dreaming and speaking and uh, praying about the unique relationship of Mary, the mother of God, uh, with us, right? Um, I don't know about you, Dan, but I've kind of, I've gone through a number of different seasons in my life in regard to uh, how I have approached, how I've viewed, how I've valued my own personal relationship with Our Lady. And uh, it was really cool to gather our mission staff and to have each one of our kind of team members present on a different theme around the life of Mary, um, and excited to go there today. How what what's your experience been like? Yeah, I just love that. You know, I think sometimes we spend a lot of time as Catholics reflecting on certain aspects of Mary's life, yeah. and maybe sometimes we forget about other aspects of Mary's life. Like I, I you know, when I think of. Marian conversations, a lot of times it's around the major pillars of Mary's life, like the incarnation, right? Uh, or the annunciation, yeah. those, those moments when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, or those moments of uh, at the presentation of the temple, the wedding feast of Cana. We talk yeah. a lot about Mary at the foot of the cross. And one of the things we often forget to talk about is Mary's experience of the resurrection. <laughs> like, That's if awesome. you think about the life of Jesus, you've got these four incredible moments. There's the incarnation. The, there's the, the cross. The immaculate conception. Yeah. There's the. There's the. There's well Even for, for Jesus. Yeah. You've got the. You've got the incarnation. You have the cross. You have the resurrection, and you have. 
Pentecost. And, and so like, let's just, you know, sometimes Mary's forgotten about during the resurrection time. Yeah. So I think I'd love to just dive into data, talk about what's Mary's role or what was Mary's experience of the resurrected Jesus. Right? That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, so I, I did, uh, I spoke on one of those generic typical experiences. Yeah. Of Mary. <laughs> we'd never, ever talk about those again. Which one did I you sp- speak I, on? I spoke about Mary at the cross this week. Oh, and, nice. Um, and, and one of the- She was there? She was there. Wow. She was one great. of the one of three, I think. <laughs> and one of the um, beautiful reflections, I'm not sure which saint I stole this from uh, in in researching my, my teaching this week, was that uh, the suggestion was made that Jesus- uh, that Jesus never took his eyes off his mother. I mean, certainly that's not a literal statement, of course, but that in, in these key moments that it would be, it, it's always, it could be for us a beautiful theological reflection in, in every one of these moments to ask, as Jesus looked upon his mother, um, what what was his, what was his experience, mm. right? Uh, Cana, certainly, his eyes were focused on her, like, right? She She guided that story. Um, at even at the cross, you could say that his eyes, like his eyes, were locked on her um, for whatever reason, and there's good reason, right? That that he had her at the at kind of the center of his the center of his mind during that time, um, at least in his in his last words to John. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to to apply awesome. that to apply that perspective to this exactly. idea of resurrection. Like, what was not only what was Mary's experience, but what was Jesus thinking about his mom? Yeah. That's actually absolutely what we're going to tackle is, yeah. did Jesus appear to Mary, and what was that, at, like, what was that visit like? <laughs> and, you know, it's funny, because when I quote saints, I remember who I quote, uh, oh, and, <laughs> but St. Augustine, he said that Mary was the only believing member of the church during the Triduum, which is, if you think about it, that from the moment of Good Friday to Easter Sunday, That's wild. Mary was the only one who held Firm to the faith and the resurrection of Jesus yeah. during those three days, which is like just a, a wild testimony that the church remained faithful on Holy Saturday. <laughs> the church. Because of Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, right? That is um, awesome. But when we talk about Mary and the resurrection, it's kind of perplexing and confusing because you get this realization pretty quickly if you read the gospel narratives of the resurrection that someone is missing from every gospel narrative of the resurrection. And who is it? Mary. Mary. <laughs> She's just not there. So, like, I, I thought it would be fun to just start with some of the, the gospels so we know what's going down, right? In John 20, we see the resurrection. And it says, early on the first day of the week, while it had still been dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put them. And John kind of goes through all of these different um, uh, times where people will see the risen Lord, right? That you've got the testimony of first, the tomb's empty. Mary runs to Peter and John. Then John and Peter, they run to the tomb. They see that it's empty, and then they run away. They leave, and Mary is there. She still continues to weep. Mary Magdalene, that is. She's weeping, and then Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. She sees the risen Lord. At first, she doesn't recognize him, but then she grows to to see him when he says her name, right? I just love that. And then Jesus appears to the disciples. Then he goes, and he, he leaves, and then he appears again to the disciples because of uh, 
Thomas wasn't there, so he appears to Thomas and, and the others. And so you see that in John and, and in Luke 24, all the people who, the women who are at the cross, they're mentioned in Luke 24, and Jesus appears to them, right? He says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women in Luke 24, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, "'Why do you look for the living among the dead?' He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. But in all of this, Mary, the mother of God, was not present. Kind of perplexing. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> so it is, it's, uh, you know, you even have it in, in Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Um, and however, you see in the tradition of the church, a lot of theologians, church fathers um, have, have said that no, Jesus first appeared to Mary, the mother of God. And you could, you could understand that Mark's definition of first was actually the first in the series of those those um, resurrected testimonies that he was sharing, but that the very first time that Jesus rose and appeared to someone was to um, Our Lady. So we're going to kind of go into that. Like if it, there's not a biblical narrative of it, but what has the church said over the years about Mary? And the resurrected Lord. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited for this. I will. I. I'm not a scholar here. So. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. I was not either. Um, and it's super exciting when I started to dive into this uh, to prepare uh, for this retreat. It was so interesting to see. One thing that totally shook me and woke me yeah. up was that um, was simply the question: What? Uh, how confident was Mary that Jesus would rise from the dead? And on the third day, how, how, what was her mm. level of faith? They all, all of her, his followers believed in the resurrection of the body, right? They, M- Martha and Mary, uh, uh, believed in the resurrection of the body when Jesus asked, uh, about Lazarus rising from the dead. And there was this understanding of the resurrection of the dead in that time, but it was something that was going to happen in the future. But it seems like Mary had a unique insight to Jesus's life. And the, the insight that I discovered in just studying this was the the finding of the Christ child in the temple yeah. was a time where Jesus was teaching and preparing his mother for what was to come in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, which that's really, awesome, isn't yeah. it neat? So, like, what happens in that story of the finding of the Christ child in the temple? It's kind of a weird story, first of all. Like, it makes no sense as to why you have the hidden life of Jesus for thirty years. You've got his infancy, and then you have his public ministry at age thirty. But then, randomly, you have this story from when he was a twelve-year-old kid, and yeah. I think the the uh, the the reason for that was Luke, the author, you know, the evangelist Luke was writing his gospel from Mary's perspective a lot of times mm-hmm. where you you notice that Luke has insights that the other gospels don't have. Yeah, he has he always has the most in-depth 
perspective of yeah of our lady it's like wait a second the annunciation is like detailed in the gospel of luke the you were there for the magnificat (laughs) (laughs) yeah the presentation the visitation all of these (laughs) accounts that aren't really detailed are super detailed and uh and luke kind of throws out his cards in the first chapter of luke he says that um he wanted to he says just as they were handed down to us by those who were first were eyewitnesses Um, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. So he's he wrote his gospel from the testimony of eyewitnesses, and he says, um, carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So Luke was not like, hey, I want to know about the three years of public ministry. He's like, I want to know everything about Jesus's life. And where do you find that from? From Mama. Mama Mary. And so you have insights. And so there's this random 12-year-old story of Jesus in the finding of the temple. And there had to have been a reason Luke thought it was significant. And the reason Luke thought it was significant was because Mary thought Mm. it was so significant, right? That's awesome. That Mary... So what happens in the finding of the temple? Well, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they go to Jerusalem for Passover, right? And then when when they get there for Passover, they leave, and Jesus goes missing for, yeah, for three, three days. days, right? And then when he's found, what's he found doing? His father's work. Yeah, preaching, preaching, preaching his father's word. Yeah. And so he's doing, and he's like, I'm, I'm doing my father's business, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, of course I'm here. And so he's gone for three days. He's lost for three days. But then at the end, Mary is reunited with her son. And so... Um, you know, some theologians say that this was a prefigurement of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that Mary, after Passover, would lose Jesus for three days and then would find him again, would be reunited, that Jesus almost taught Mary at the finding of the temple what was going to happen later. And and it says in, in Luke's gospel, what does she do after this experience? She starts to ponder in her heart, right? Yeah. So you ponder things in your heart when things when things when things hit you deeply. Yeah, they start <laughs> becoming clear and Mary and then Mary huh. hears about Jesus predict his passion. You know others when they're like ah that temple will not be like torn down and 3 days later it'll be built again. Others were like dude Jesus you are a lunatic. Like you are a crazy man. Mary's like, "Oh, the temple. 3 days. That temple." Yeah. <laughs> and she starts to understand. And so um so then we get to this moment, right, where Mary is uh, is 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 leading up to the resurrection, and so why doesn't Luke include Mary in the resurrection story? Well, John Paul II, jeez, oh, smart guy, he had something to say about that. Um, you want to share what he said, Aaron? Yeah. So this is from JP two. The 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 Gospels mention various appearances of the risen Christ, but not a meeting between Jesus and his mother. This silence must not lead to the conclusion that after the resurrection, Christ did not appear to Mary. Rather, it invites us to seek the reason why the evangelists made such a choice. Indeed, it is legitimate to think that the mother was probably the first person to whom the risen Jesus appeared. Could not Mary's absence from the group of women who went to the tomb at dawn indicate that she already met him? 
That's awesome. (laughs) Isn't that nuts? So if you go back to Luke's gospel, what does it say? It says that on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Why wasn't Mary with them? Why did Because she knew he wasn't going to be there. She was already hanging out with him. (laughs) Yeah. Mary was... Uh, a faithful Jewish woman, uh, and and these oh, women as well, so cool. and they were they were trying to do the cultural norms for Jesus's body, right? They weren't able to prepare Jesus's body for the resurrection of the body, yeah. so because of Sabbath, and so they they were going back to finish anointing his body to prepare for the resurrection of the body, and yet Mary's like, you don't need to prepare him for the resurrection of the body; he's already risen, right? And so Mary had an insight, if you will, or a knowledge or a supernatural faith that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, or perhaps she had she, she already, already had. seen him ah, rise from the dead, which is, is pretty doggone exciting, awesome. right? Thank you, John um, Paul II. Exactly. Yeah, cause, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, if, if you've got a group of people who are going to care for the body of our Lord— there's no one else who would be who would be present among them than than our lady exactly yeah I mean, she wouldn't have missed that for the world right yeah exactly i mean if you're f- first yeah if you're preparing his body you're going to do it it would have been her job like yeah. that would have been the expectation <laughs> that she would that she would participate in that process and they were probably a little confused cuz i'm you could assume i mean this is theological speculation but you could assume that those who comforted mary at the foot of the cross would have also comforted her back at her home on Good Friday in the evening and throughout Holy Saturday. Like when someone passes, what do loved ones do? They gather in the home uh, of that family member and they they spend time with them, right? There's There's got to be some interesting insight as to why Our Lady didn't go. Um, St. Ambrose in the fourth century, he said, Mary saw the resurrection of the Lord. She was the first to see and believe. Mary Magdalene also saw, but she hesitated. You know, it's interesting because you see... The angels almost giving an an understanding of those who mm. had supernatural faith in this moment and those yeah. who maybe had faith in the in the not yet. <laughs> so we 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 as Catholics we use the phrase already not yet a lot. Yeah. Um the already not yet kingdom of God, already not yet resurrection, uh already not yet, this idea that the kingdom is already at hand and yet it hasn't been fully realized. And you almost have like Mary Magdalene who believes in the not yet the resurrection of the body will come but mary who believes in the already <laughs> yeah, that's awesome why because because she'd met him before like she because this isn't the first time she's seen an angel right? yeah yeah <laughs> this exactly isn't the first time she's heard something completely irrational <laughs> happen. it's like man last time i questioned you uh-huh. this time i'm just going with it and it's it's the finding of the child in the temple yeah. like jesus goes to jerusalem for passover on holy thursday and then on Good Friday, he is taken away. Mary sees her son uh, be taken away from her, but she knows she'll be reunited on the third day because Jesus promised that. Oh, that's awesome. It's I, so good. And, you know, that's uh, that's so cool, too, because oftentimes we, we, we read the stories in Scripture, you read a quote, and you, you completely miss the context, not just even the context of the immediately surrounding situation, but... What was the life experience that that contributed to that mm. to that process? You know, I I still catch myself from time to time. I'll, I'll say something, and I'll remember when I was when I was ten years old or twelve years old when my dad told me something, and I'll hear his voice echoing in my mind. Yeah, I wonder when Jesus was sharing those those predictions about 
about his his passion and death and resurrection coming back from the tomb in 3 days if he was if he was if he was remembering that story yeah that experience of when he left for 3 days and when he you know he knew he was coming back yeah he knew he was going to be reunited and you just wonder what conversations did i mean what conversations happened after the finding of the temple that aren't in scripture right like okay did <laughs> like Jesus didn't tell his parents where he was. What usually happens when your kid wanders off without telling you where they're going to be? Like, (laughs) yeah, there's definitely a quote coming to Jesus meeting, right? But when you're Jesus, it's usually, uh, hey, let me explain what just happened here. And like, what, what, what did Jesus and Mary and Joseph talk about after the finding? How did they process that situation? Uh, How did Jesus prepare them for what was to come? That's awesome. Super exciting. Uh, All right. So much good stuff to talk about. I want to keep going into that because I love that story about finding Jesus in the temple. Um, But I have to stop us because we need to take a break. Let's do it. uh, Friends, thank you for joining us for Beyond Damascus. This is the show where encounter meets mission. Um, Dan and I will will be right back with you after this short break. Come on back and join us in just a couple minutes time. St. Hildegard of Bingen was a mystic, an abbess, a botanist, a saint, and a doctor of the church. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. Hildegard had her first visions at the age of three, which she called the Shade of the Living Light. She later wrote about them in works declared by St. Bernard of Clairvaux to be from God. Pope Benedict XVI agreed when he named her only one of four Doctors of the Church who are women in 2012. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. When I pray, there should be a change worked in me. Why? Because when I converse with God, I receive a part of God. That's the essence of prayer. But when I pray, I receive grace. I share in God's own life. I'm conversing with God. You never converse with God that you don't share God. What does prayer do? It pours living water into your heart. Why? Because I am conversing with the Holy One. And welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Thanks for joining us today here at the Damascus Media Studio. I'm Aaron Richards, joined by Dan Demite. Today's show, man, this is this has been a lot of fun already. I love Mary, and the I forget how much I love Mary until I start thinking about how much I love Mary, and then it just then it just accelerates. I know. <laughs> we're talking about we were just talking about how Jesus that experience of Jesus in the temple, um, and how it it was it was such a a beautiful foreshadowing of the experience that um that Mary would have again when Jesus is taken from her when he's lost from her over this experience the first experience of the triduum and how there must have been that same sense of of loss and fear but now also a reminder that hey I've been through this once before yeah and then I think we can also just reflect on the question of, okay, so why have church fathers and why uh, did John Paul II um, so eagerly defend that Mary must have been the first one that Jesus appeared to after yeah. the resurrection, you know? And I think that if, just if we think through this reasonably, like she who suffered the most, yeah, he would want to console the quickest. Yeah. Like if she experienced his death, um, in the worst way imaginable, 
then of course he would want to bring her consolation and peace as quickly as possible. You almost, I don't know if you've ever heard theologians speculate that Mary's suffering was even more intense than Jesus's suffering. Um, because this whole idea that, um, what, what is the greater pain, um, or the greater emotional pain is, is it to, to die yourself or to watch the one that you love, uh, suffer and die right in front of you. And that, you know, you would speculate that it would be much worse that your loved one to die in front of you would hurt worse than you dying, which is why often people would say, I want to take your place. And, and yeah. Mary, whose love was perfect, um, and without sin, uh, would have had a perfect love for her son as he was suffering in front of her. And which is why the sorrows of Mary have so many swords piercing her heart. It was just this insane uh, anguish, awesome. right? So that's second awesome. Corinthians chapter one, St. Paul says, knowing that as you are participate, uh, participators in the sufferings of Jesus, so shall you also be in his consolation. And the, the idea of us being partic- uh, partakers in the suffering of Jesus, we're also partakers in his consolation. And Mary would have been the one who participated in the suffering of Jesus more than anyone. Yeah. And so she would have shared in his consolation in a, in a way greater than anyone that Jesus would have been like, okay, you're suffering. I'm going to now give you the joy of the resurrection in a way that we can't even, I don't even know if we can fathom, yeah. right? Like the, the suffering of Mary is unfathomable, but the we don't reflect enough on the joy of Mary must have been unfathomable. <laughs> like, yeah, that's awesome. I, I think, so I love Mary. And Dan, you and I, I remember you and I, we we pursued the process of like the Marian consecration when we were in college together. Yeah. It's been what, 20 years, 15 years almost. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I remember, I, I remember at various points in my in my life having, been skeptical of people who had a, a profound um, dedication to to Mary, like super super intense. Uh huh. And then and then also at times in my in my own journey, falling more deeply in love with her. I think I think that there's almost a, a scandalous nature of mm. um, that instills fear in the hearts of faithful Catholics to not want to give anyone but the Lord too much honor. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was funny, even, you know, uh, even in preparing for this retreat this week and in preparing for the show today and in, in prayerful reflection over these last few days, there've been a couple moments where I'm, there's, there's almost like an anxiety in me that hesitates to reflect too deeply on this. But I just, I want to, I want to speak. I'm not sure if this, this might resound with anybody who's listening today in the, in the audience, but if you've ever felt that, um, I, I want you to hear the Lord's permission to just allow your heart to be open to receiving. You know, uh, I, I, I said it kind of in jest earlier, but the more I, the more I think about Mary, the more I love her, the more I fall in love with her. Yeah. Right. That, that it, you know, it, it feels it feels almost scandalous to, to even suggest that someone could experience a pain worse than the pain of Jesus. Why? I don't know. Uh, mm. Because that's what we, because that's what we believe, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, there, there was a beautiful statement that um, I'm not sure if it was in the process of, of the total consecration to Jesus through Mary um, by St. Louis de Montfort, or if it was somebody else, but 
basically um, God is perfect and he doesn't, he doesn't get jealous when we give too much honor to someone else. Like if I honor the Holy spirit, the son doesn't get anxious. Yeah. Um, and if I, if I honor the mother of the mother of Jesus, um, Jesus isn't going to get out of sorts. Yeah. So, uh, I, I just, I, I love, I, I feel like every time I, I dive deeper into one of these, one of these reflections on one of these mysteries, I, I get just, my heart gets lit on fire. Um, and there's always that little hesitation to be like, Oh, should I be this? Should I be this excited? Yeah. Well, I always get a little like, I always take pause when I'm like, you hear the people that are like the immaculate heart will triumph. And it's all this like triumph of the immaculate heart of Mary. And I'm like, but I want Jesus to triumph too, you know? Like, and, uh, but it's funny because she who shared the most in his sufferings also shares the most in his triumph. Yeah. And so yeah. she, she experiences the power of the resurrection. She experiences the triumph of the resurrection in a, in a greater way than we could ever imagine, yeah. right? Well, and and fundamentally, she, Our Lady, stands as um, she stands in the place of us, right? She she stands there to show us what's possible. That that actually, it's Jesus's desire that we would experience the joy in a similar way to, to how she did. Yeah. That we would experience his suffering in a similar way to what he did. Yeah. And that, that that's, that's actually the invitation into the authentic human experience. Yeah. Well, and if she gave birth to the perfect son, um, wouldn't we want her to give birth to us to like, she's going to give birth to saints, right? Like mm. she gives birth to the perfect. And as we enter into a relationship with her, where she becomes our mother she she formed the perfect son of God. <laughs> like that's nuts to think about that she was part of his formation. And so if she can be part of our formation. Imagine the way she can sanctify us and the 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 way she can teach us. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So the you know, Mary it, it seems reasonable to suggest that Mary was the first um to that Jesus would want to show himself to her first because of love. Um St. Ignatius of Loyola, during his spiritual exercises, he has this interesting exercise where he has Mary, um, he has the, you know, the the participant uh, of the exercises reflect upon what it would have been like when Jesus appeared to Mary. Since there's not a biblical account, he yeah. creates an exercise for that meditation to take place. And, um, I, you know, I was doing that, and I was, as I was going into that, uh, reflection of I started with like Mary's interaction with these women yeah. who were preparing the spices on Holy Saturday, and I was thinking about what it would have been like on Holy Saturday in the home of Mary, right? Like the like you know when someone dies, I, I would go to their house to um, console them, um, yeah. and often it's funny because it's like the person that should be consoled the most sometimes becomes the consoler mm. and i was thinking how much more mary would would be that in that moment where like they're suffering the loss of jesus and mm. mary's like wait i've been here before and i know the end of the story like uh and so she becomes this perfect uh comforter and i was just thinking about uh, as i was going through that meditation just ignatius of loyola and what are the spiritual exercises and what does he teach the most about consolation and desolation right and it's it's interesting in a moment of desolation 
when John the Apostle or Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of James, when they were hurting and suffering, they they were you could say they were clearly in a place of desolation because God was away. Like desolation is that time where you feel like God's just no longer there. Yep. Right. Yep. I think when Jesus is dead, they probably felt like God was no longer there, and yet Mary is there. Mm. Um, that in a time of desolation. Mary is there, and she is the consolation. And just this beautiful insight that Our Lady, if you're experiencing this, like a spiritual reality of desolation where you feel like God is far off and distant, or you haven't connected with Him in a long time, the one who is present on Holy Saturday in the moment of desolation is Our Lady. And what does she do as the mother? She consoles. And I just think it's... it's, uh, because she has hope in the midst of despair that we may be not able to have. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I, I use the uh, I used the terminology when I was preaching the other day that sometimes in our human experience, um, well, prob- probably every time in our human experience, we have difficulty. Why? Because it doesn't make sense um, plugging into the power of God, right? <laughs> and uh, in the, in the physical world, I was thinking about, you know, we've got these, like, we've got these high voltage power lines that that connect cities. And if you tried to plug your iPhone into a, you know, power line, yeah. it would, it would explode. And so would you, right? And <laughs> we should and try it out in order, in order to make, like, in order to make that accessible, um, you have like a, you have a step down transformer, that that makes that that makes that that power accessible to us. It doesn't doesn't change anything about the nature of that power. Um, it 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 helps us, mm-hmm. right? I think I think Mary. I think the saints. Uh, certainly, you know, this isn't a theological uh, truism. Um, in in some way, when I am too weak to encounter to see Jesus hidden in Holy Saturday, mm-hmm. right? When when I when I go to the to the the house of the grieving person, um, sometimes it's my own issue that stands in the way mm-hmm. of me being able to handle that with with the maturity that I'm that I'm supposed to or that I'm called to. But that that Mary and the saints they stand for us is this this human um, experience of what true hopeful waiting and expectation can be. Yeah. Why? Because there's an honest faith. Um, and it's it's not just it's not just a you know uh, a wish and a hope it's it's a it's a faithful expectation that ultimately finds its end in being accomplished. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think the Mary anticipates our resurrection as well, not just Jesus's. So, like in the midst of our suffering and our pain and our hurt, Mary's already anticipating our resurrection yeah. uh, out of that, the joy that will come, the peace that will come, the hope that will come. Like she is truly a pillar of hope because she knows the end of the story and yep. she has such insane faith yep. uh, that yep. it's coming that on our Holy Saturdays, like on their Holy Saturday, she was anticipating the resurrection on our spiritual Holy Saturdays when we're suffering or our spiritual good Fridays when we're str- struggling in life. Mary's Mary's there anticipating the resurrection yeah. that is to come. And I love it because it's three days. You know, it's not like it's I think I think sometimes we we wait a little bit too much in, in faith and like we're like we we just because we don't focus on the already, we focus on the not yet. And so sometimes our focus gets 
too drawn into the far off future mm. um, when maybe Jesus wants to bring it a little quicker. And and we're, we're the we are the the cause of it not coming quicker. You know, they say they say in the Old Testament that the um, the they wandered in the um, the desert for forty years, not because it was a forty year journey, but because of themselves. And I wonder if sometimes we have a Mary Magdalene faith that's like, oh, okay, the promised land, consolation, or resurrected joy is far off and distant, and I'll get there someday. But we end up going through a forty year desert when the Lord wanted three days, <laughs> you yeah. know, and uh, and Mary's faith, maybe sometimes hearing from her or relying on he- her can help bring us out of something faster than anticipated. That's awesome. Okay. I want to share my favorite, my favorite Mary story from scripture. Oh boy. Um, It's coming. So this, uh, this is a tricky one. All right. It happens in, um, it happens in Luke chapter seven and it's funny because it's my favorite Mary story, but she's not in the story. Oh man. All these Mary stories where she's not there. (laughs) Uh, Jesus is Jesus and his apostles have entered into um into the city of Nain, Nain. Uh and I don't I I I will admit I had never even identified this story as a valuable image in scripture and I was reading a uh I was reading my kids children's bible to them a couple <laughs> years ago. Nice. And I I read this story and I was I was just I was profoundly struck by it to the point where I went to my real Bible and I was like, is this even in here? Because I don't know how I've missed it my entire life. Jesus walks into the city of Nain with his disciples. And as he's walking, he sees a funeral procession happening on the other side of the, uh, the town square. And a young man has died. He's being carried on a funeral buyer. And the young man was the only son of his mother, who is now a widow. Uh, And, it says that Jesus locks his eyes on this experience. Why? Not because there's a dead guy in the street. Um, that probably happened pretty frequently. <laughs> uh, but it was because of the of the sorrow of this mother that was grieving over the body of her son. Mm. And Jesus moved with compassion for the grieving mother, walked over and made this, this statement of um, consolation to her and then raised her son to life. Mm. And I, I was I was so moved by this because because why this this isn't this just our relationship um, that that we enjoy with with our mother that that he keeps his eyes so locked on her I think there's this temptation to believe sometimes that in my most despondent moments that there's still some good in me or some potential in me that Jesus sees that he's yeah. just drawn to what if it's not that. Like, what if it's that I don't, I don't actually have to earn Jesus's focus and attention because I've got the single most beautiful, you know, attractive target of his, of his eyes, the one that he never takes his eyes off of, who, even when I haven't earned it, even when I haven't mm. deserved it, even when I'm lying there dead, not even asking for, for comfort or for consolation or for resurrection or grace, for life, yeah. that, that she cries over my body mm-hmm. and that wow. he looks and he says, because of my pity for you, mom, um, I, I raised this son of yours to life. Wow. That's absolutely stinking amazing. <laughs> I love that. Um, that, you know, I just, uh, our theme this summer for Catholic Youth Summer Camp is Magnificare. We're going to be focusing on uh, the Blessed Mother all summer long. And yeah. I just, 
had that image of Mary over the young church that sometimes is is apathetic and dead, and she, as she weeps over the death in the church, Jesus looks to her and says, "I'm going to bring life. Yeah. I'll bring my children back to life." And all right, well, if I'm preaching man. this summer, I call the widow of Nain. Okay, good. It's all yours. <laughs> well, and that's let's let's uh, you know if you haven't if you are a. Um, parent or a grandparent and you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, anyone currently in fifth uh, through 12th grade, you should check out CYSC.com. It's going to be a great summer. Uh, If your kid or grandchild seems to be spiritually dead, um, let's let Our Lady um, and Jesus bring them back to life this summer. That'd That's be pretty exciting. Um, That's awesome. So Dan, Dan Beyond Damascus is the show where encounter meets mission. Yeah. And we've spent the entirety of the first 40 minutes of the show um, talking about Mary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mary is the, is the queen of the apostles, right? Um, we are, we are not, I, I think we don't jump into this type of a show uh, because we've run out of, missionary content, but precisely because we need to root ourselves in this type of a motivation if we are to authentically live out a missionary call. Well, and just think about, I mean, so the events of Mary's life prepared her for quite possibly her most important mission, um, which was Pentecost. Like, think about the... um, the widow that you just spoke of, Aaron, was Our Lady in the crowd during that time, and the the finding of the Christ child. Those experiences pre- prepared her heart to be ready on Holy Saturday and Good Friday. I mean, um, Easter Sunday, and all the days leading up to Pentecost. She becomes the leader of the church before Peter. Right? Like, there's this. There, in a sense, mm. she is leading the disciples after this time period to prepare. And you don't see Peter really take charge until after Pentecost that from that moment it's almost like during the Easter season leading up to Pentecost like um, uh, Augustine said earlier she remained during the Triduum the faithful member of the church and she led the church to prepare for the birthday of the church on Pentecost that they that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit Mm. and they would be overshadowed with the Holy Spirit like she was overshadowed it's like hey I know this story. It's I, I experienced it. You're about to experience it now. And and they're there in the upper room praying with one accord. They get overshadowed by the Holy Spirit because she knew what was going to come. She helped prepare them for that. Yeah. And I think sometimes the circumstances in our life, we don't look at them enough to say, how is this preparing me for my mission? Um, or maybe we don't spend enough time in our current mission asking, how was I already prepared for this in the past? Yeah. Uh, what What... You know, like you get a new mission, you're like, I can't do this. And well, maybe God prepared you over the entire course of your lifetime for that moment. Yeah, that's awesome. So thank thank you for joining us for today's show as we are reflecting. This is like a little retreat for you, friends. We like to sh- say Woo! here on Beyond Damascus that uh, every single one of us is called to a life of full-time mission, a life of full-time work in service in the church. And this is... Uh, this is one way that we together can stay rooted um, in, you know, on mission together. So we're going to take a, a short break. We'll be right back after this break. Um, Dan and I are going to share a little testimony of our own personal experience and encounter with seeing our lives transformed in mission in saying yes 
to Our Lady in a in a deeper and more profound way. And I hope it'll be inspiring for you. If if you have um if you've if you've listened to the show in the past, maybe if you're joining us for the first time, if you've had experience of mission where you feel as though I know this is what I'm called. I know this is a grace and a desire that God's placed on my life, but I just haven't seen the fruit. Uh, this is a great way to step in and to, and to, to seek actively an advocate who can help you to carry that, that mission well. Thanks for joining us again for Beyond Damascus. We will be right back after this short break. Step away from the turmoil of the day. In A Holy Hour with Mother Angelica, you'll find lessons that touch every aspect of our relationship with God and our neighbor. These meditations and prayers will help you turn to Jesus in your everyday life. A Holy Hour with Mother Angelica from EWTN Publishing. Now available at EWTNRC.com or call 1-800-854-6316. Wings is the weekly newsletter that's packed with program info, features, and updates of all that's going on at the Global Catholic Network. Just go to EWTN.com slash wings. Fill out your name and email address, and you'll start getting your wings every week. When you get yours, send it to all your friends, and they can send it to their friends. And pretty soon, we're covering the whole world with the good news about EWTN. Wings, the weekly newsletter from EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Friends, thanks for joining us for today's show. This has been an awesome reflection on the life of Mary and how she stands as maybe the fundamental um, inspiration for us and motivation for us on our on our missionary call, right? If, if maybe you're joining us right now for this, the start of our third segment, um, I just, I want to invite you to, to go catch the recap on the, on the podcast, um, this has been an incredible show taking some time for retreat almost in reflecting on the life of our lady on some of the mysteries of her life and how she really calls us to step into that expectant faith, uh, that expectant joy, uh, allowing Jesus to transform our lives through the experience of the resurrection. Right. Uh, you know, Dan, we we minister out of what we do here at Damascus, and this this radio show is really a reflection of, I think, what God's saying every day in our own in our own prayer and our own walk. And here at Damascus, even even the missionaries who work here full time, actively serving uh, the young church here in Central Ohio, we we've we've asked them to take three days this week to stop and to ponder and to be formed by a lot of this similar content and. Uh, I'd invite us to do the same, that uh, wherever we are this week, wherever we are today, um, that, that, that as, a, as a Christian who, like we like to say, is called to a life of full-time ministry work, um, that, that we can allow our hearts to be moved and to be raised up so that those, those struggles that we face, those challenges that we face can be rendered obsolete. Um, in the, in the call of, in the call of missionary discipleship. Mm-hmm. Dan, I promised before the, before the break that we'd kind of close out today's show by sharing a little bit of our own testimony about how we've experienced, um, falling in love with our lady and how she's charged us for mission. And I wondered maybe if you'd kick it off. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I could share a little bit about how 
I think Mary makes us the, a, a perfect missionary disciple. Um, and the Marian that's, consec- a, that's a pretty radical claim. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, the, the Marian consecration really h- helps aid in that, right? That uh, as a disciple, all the things I want to uh, grow in my relationship with Jesus, the mysteries I love most about Jesus, Mary had the deepest intimacy in, in like the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of the cross, the mystery of the resurrection, the mystery of Pentecost. These are yeah. the mystery of the Eucharist. Uh, the, these are like mysteries that I want as a disciple to, to just dive as deep as I possibly can in. And Our Lady has. <laughs> like She has experienced these things in a level deeper than... I could imagine. And um, so she teaches us, she she guides us through that. But then even just in mission, I know the consecration really freed me yeah. in ministry to give me a lot of peace. Um, the Part of the consecration, uh, the idea is that when you give yourself to Jesus through Mary, um, you give Mary permission to use the graces of your life however she pleases. So if I pray a rosary, you know, I'm giving Mary the grace from that rosary and saying, you can use this as you will. Or if I pray for someone that's in front of me um, for healing and deliverance, like I'm at the, 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 the good works that I do in my life, the grace, I'm giving Mary permission to dispense that grace however she pleases. Mm. And it's really, um, it gives you a lot of peace because in a sense, it's like, okay, I could be praying for someone for breakthrough in front of me and they may not experience the level of breakthrough I desire. But in a sense, I've given Mary permission to use the grace in that moment, however she pleases. And she may take that prayer of praying for breakthrough and that hunger for someone to be delivered or someone to be freed from brokenness. And she may give it to someone in the moment of their death on the other side of the world to make sure they come to salvation. And so it gives you hope it gives you peace. It gives you joy that, you know what? It's not my problem. It's like, I've given this to Mary and she, she can deal with it. My favorite prayer at the end, uh, with when I'm interceding, cause I intercede a lot and I love intercession. I'm, I'm always like, okay, Mary, this is your problem now. Like whatever I'm interceding for, it's like <laughs> at the end of the day, it's your problem. Um, because I've given myself to you and I'm letting you dispense these graces of my prayer time, however you want. So do your job. That's awesome. Do your job, mom. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I've, I've got, uh, so one other fun perspective on the consecration is, um, oftentimes I'm not sure if you've ever seen this, but, but one of the traditional, one of the traditional, um, symbols of the Marian consecration is that you might wear a chain on your wrist as a, as a sign of the fact that you've completed your consecration. Why do you wear a chain? Well, um, you could, uh, try to wimp out and give a nice politically correct, explanation <laughs> or you could go the route that St. Louis de Montfort goes and he says it's because you're a slave to Mary. <laughs> <laughs> right? That um and that's that's scary language I suppose. <laughs> uh but he's a saint in heaven. Um why does he say this? He says this because when we when when our own will um suffers in in making in choosing the right mm-hmm. that we can chain ourselves to one who we can have confidence in mm. would never stray, mm-hmm. right? That that Mary's only pri- her her singular goal mm. is to lead those who look to her to the cross of her son, and in a in a beautiful way, uh, as we as we chain ourselves to Our Lady, um, that Jesus 
you know, we're never far from him. Yep. We're never far from him. And he, and he looks with such kindness on her. And, um, and I think in a, in a special way appreciates the ones that are chained alongside her. So, uh, I, I've been, I've been wearing this little chain on my wrist now for close to 20 years. And, um, it's, uh, it has served for me on many occasions as a reminder of the fact that I'm committed to this Christian life, right? That I'll that I'll just I'll look down and I'll see that chain there and I'll remember mm-hmm. I've I've made a I've made an act of of consecration of my will, right? Um, we like to say, you know, Jesus in Scripture he describes our relationship with him in a number of different ways, uh, and there's this kind of there's sort of this like this, um, evolution of what he desires for our relationship with him to be. First, he, he, he identifies us that, that we exist in this world as slaves to sin. And that's, that's kind of a crappy place to be. No, no fun. No fun. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's, the, what's the, um, the, the solution to being a slave from sin? Well, it's becoming a slave to Christ, mm-hmm. right? That, that's, that's an infinitely better alternative to being a slave to sin. And then he continues to develop the story that not only do I call you slaves, but, but friends, Mm-hmm. And not just friends, but brothers and sisters, and then, uh, and then co-heirs, right? Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, we see this beautiful fulfillment and revelation, and foreshadowed in the Old Testament that not only is it a friend uh, or or a brother or an heir, but I call you to be my 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 lover, like my my intimate love. And I think there have been times in my own life when I've seen myself living out of intimacy. There have been times when I've lived out of brotherhood. And there have been times when, you know, uh, I've been happy to be a slave and um, wearing that chain, uh, reminding myself of that commitment and consecration that I've made. Um, I, I've, I've found noticeably, visibly, that in times when my own will to maintain, like, I don't know, integrity in my own life, that it's been a reminder to me that, that this is the commitment that you've made. And, and Mary's going to drag me by the chain if she has to, to keep me in the right place, to keep me rooted to the cross. Yeah. You know, the, someone who's a a slave, it's a whole idea of like, you're their possession. And it's like, I've often thought like we talk about being possessed by evil spirits. I'm like, man, I just want to be, I want to be possessed by the Holy spirit. I want (laughs) to, I want to be possessed by Jesus. And, um, and, uh, I want it just, it's an honor um, yeah. to be theirs. Like yeah. that language of love, I take you to be mine. And it's like, wow, I, I get to, to be yours. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh man. What a show today. We've, we've, we've been talking about how to, to serve as missionaries. We operate not only just under the inspiration, but truly under the authority, under the invitation of our lady, the queen of the apostles check out that show again anytime you need that reminder friends thank you for joining us for beyond damascus the show where encounter meets mission we'll check you again next week